Fashion Questions. On each episode, we ask a different question to retail insiders about the fashion industry. This is where they share their views and insights. Brought to you by Hive. The group's fashion portfolio includes Moda at Spring and Autumn Fair, Pure London, Pure Origin and Scoop. Stay tuned. A very warm welcome to our first episode of Fashion Questions. We're delighted to introduce our brand new fashion podcast. We start with a hot topic, and the question today is, why is everyone so crazy about Miu Miu's micro miniskirt? Miu Miu's micro miniskirt is literally everywhere, and it even has its own Instagram account. Much has already been published by leading media, from the New York Times to Vogue magazine. Miu Miu's micro miniskirt is a favorite among celebrity stylists and top fashion editors. Irish Law wore it for British Vogue and Nicole Kidman for Vanity Fair, to name but a couple of examples. The micro miniskirt first graced the catwalk at Milan's Fashion Week last October, and it was revamped into different versions in the latest Autumn 2022 show, from pleated white tennis skirts to dark leather boy shorts. So why is everyone so crazy about it? That's what we're going to find out. I'm Lena Vash, content editor at Hive, and with me today I have Emily Gordon-Smith, content director at Stylus, a trans intelligence agency based in London, who will shed some light on this phenomenon. Good morning, Emily, and thank you so much for joining us today. Good morning, Lena. When we think of a miniskirt, it's almost inevitable to remember the 60s and the women's sexual liberation that happened at the time. There was a newfound sense of freedom after the traditional roles women were limited to play during the early decades. Do you see any correlation between the 60s and what's happening now? I think we do to a degree. Um, Certainly there is a feeling of... Uh, moving on from lockdowns and real kind of comfort dressing into something that's slightly more hedonistic and playful. And that certainly kind of taps into what you're talking about. Um, I I really believe that the Miu Miu skirt is very much uh, inspired by late 90s, early noughties fashion, though. And this sort of phenomenon of the Miu Miu Micro Mini uh, has really kind of taken lots of twists and, ter- twists and turns because when it first appeared on the runway, we, what we were seeing was that this was, you know, this kind of very severe, um, almost kind of sheared off with a blunt scissors um, effect with the, with the look and a crop top uh, modelled on really very, very slim girls. And so the immediate response was, oh, my goodness, please don't tell me we're going back to late 90s, early noughties sort of, you know, body uh, issues around kind of body and size. (laughs) Exactly. Um, And lots of references to, you know, kind of people at the time like Misha Barton and uh, Lindsay Lohan. And what's been really interesting, and and it's, you know, crucial to note that whenever Prada does something, it does it uh, 110%. So when they do Ugly Chic, they do it 110%. Uh, if they're going to do a micro mini, it's going to be uh, a, a hot topic. It's going to be the most severe um, micro mini. But that that um, item has been really, really cool and, and hot amongst uh, teens 
for quite some years now who've been, who have kind of slightly obsessed with late 90s, early noughties um, fashion trends. And I think what we've seen since that sort of, uh, yeah, the kind of slight hysteria when it appeared on the runway was that um, we've really seen kind of very 2022 responses to the piece in that stylists and the media have been looking at ways of interpreting that, not in that kind of very uh, specific 90s noughties way, which is, like I say, on the, on the, on the, in the Mew Mew show, it was modelled on really, really skinny girls. Um, what we've seen is someone like uh, Paloma Alcesa was on the cover, who's, who's a plus-size model, um, appearing on the cover of ID, wearing this item with the crop top, and then, as you alluded to earlier, um, Nicole Kidman, who I believe is 54 or 55 now, also wearing it on the cover of Vanity Fair. So what started out as a sort of uh, potentially a kind of, uh, you know, a kind of dangerous key item has been adopted and translated into something that, you know, we, we can say, yes, anyone can wear this. You can be 54 or you can be plus size. You can be curvy. You don't have to be um, super skinny to wear this item. And I think that's where this story has kind of evolved. Um, so it's more a diversity issue. Exactly. So, uh, you know, inclusivity and diversity is such a huge focus for all of us at the moment. So um, what we've seen here is that story evolve into something that is potentially quite positive. So to go right back to your point about the 1960s and liberation and empowerment, then potentially this piece is kind of, you know, in its own way in 2022 is, uh, yeah, kind of in a small way, reworking some of those mores. And stylists identified uh, healing hedonism as one of the key trends for 2022. Is this something that will continue to unfold in the future? Yes. So I mentioned earlier hedonism and this sort of uh, post-lockdown uh, need for self-expression and playfulness. And for sure, um, for our stylist clients, this is the biggest question at the moment, apart from questions around sustainability and inclusivity. One of the biggest questions we are asked is um, how this new kind of hedonism will play out. And I think it's really important to think about this um, from your own through your own brand lens. So where do you sit on that you know, a sort of trend trajectory, which may be more playful and hedonistic. So if you're a youth-led brand, then potentially you're deep in this already. If you're a more contemporary fashion brand, um, appealing to older demographics, then, you know, very useful to know where you sit on that on that path. Um, it's certainly not um, the overriding trend at the moment, but it's um, it's underpinning a lot of interesting things that are happening and it is evolving quite quickly. Would you say that this uh, is something that usually when there's like in war times or when things are very uh, serious, people tend to uh, go for more uh, hedonistic kind of uh, style in order to cope with the, with the challenging times. Exactly. There will always be some sort of uh, response to hard times, to uh, whether that's austerity or 
war or, you know, uh, as we've seen recently with the pandemic, um, the the hedonistic trend evolution has certainly been accelerated um, or been more focused on because we were so focused on wellness and um, comfort and uh, just coping, really. So, yeah, for sure, you will always see these kind of um, uh, corresponding responses um, in, in, in difficult times. And it might mean that there's something that you have been, a trend that um, has been evolving, but it may accelerate. What else will we see in women's wear? What should buyers be focusing on right now? So like I say, that, that hedonistic kind of playful party trend is very much still kind of underlying. And um, I wouldn't say it's the top trend. Um, we are still really seeing that wellness, well-being and comfort are playing out in a big way and will continue to be, you know, one of one of the key drivers in terms of consumer spend. Um, we're also seeing, and this is, again, our, our trends at Stylus are very um, very macro and they're very evolutionary. So we're really trying to tap in and, and show our clients what the big stories are and how they should be interpreting them as a brand. Um, and wellness and comfort continue to be one of those themes. Pragmatism. So real practicality in how we dress, um, often sort of uh, addressing issues around climate change and, um, you know, weather and pollution and, uh, you know, now post-pandemic, uh, well, not post-pandemic, but, you know, pandemic era um, concerns. Uh, and then also seeing... We've got that underlying kind of hedonistic trend, but also seeing uh, that craft and um, personalization is really super important as a way to, uh, to to set oneself apart. So we're really seeing that play out in a big way in the sort of sustainable fashion field, which is something, again, that really sustainability Um, is underpinning everything that we're talking about. I mean, over the last few years, sustainability moved from niche to global quite rapidly, and both brands and retailers are doing their best to improve their credentials. For most, this has been done mainly on the surface, and many are accused of greenwashing. What's the latest research on this? Where are we heading? Well, I think it's been quite a fascinating sort of 12 months, really. Uh, we... I had been really very disappointed with brand responses, big brand responses to the issue of sustainability. Uh, and what we've seen in the last 12 months is that so many brands have really stepped up and signposting is much clearer in purchases, whether that's online or offline. Um, incredible things happening in terms of product development and particularly obviously in, fab in terms of fabric sourcing, and what's happening there, really much more coherent um, offers ac across the board. And that's right the way down from sort of, you know, mass budget level all the way through to luxury. Um, and what's really exciting is that it, this is happening at mass budget level now. And there are no excuses. Um, we've just at Stylus done, recently done a, a big piece on responses to climate crisis, as I said earlier, 
And um, that really, uh, it, it, it really highlights how, so uh, what we've done is highlight that so much is being done, but there is still a huge amount of work along the path. Um, we're nowhere near where we need to be. Um, but that, um, it, I think things are really encouraging because, like I say, there's there are no excuses now. There are ways to be, you know, to be a more sustainable brand and to be a truly sustainable brand um, without worrying as much as one might have done three years ago about the impact on margin. Mm-hmm. Considering the latest report from the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change and the revelations by The Guardian about how some companies are misleading the public about their emissions, do you think legislation is needed to ensure fashion becomes more sustainable? Yeah, I mean, I think legislation is a big part of this. Um, but we should be self-legislating as well. There are, you know, certain uh, givens that we should be guided by as brands um, that should inform everything that we do from sourcing through product development through to sales and engagement. Um, those, there are certainly, you know, at least kind of seven, eight um, strategies that we should all be following, um, which we highlight in our in our recent reporting. But that, yes, government, governmental legislation, I think, is really important. But yeah, we must also be really self-governing now. And I think consumers are aware of this and they want us to be self-governing as brands. Mm-hmm. They expect it. And consumer attitude potentially is shifting faster than governmental legislation might be able to. Yes, indeed. And, and circular fashion is another buzzword right now with rental and resale businesses growing more and more. Will this go mainstream or do you think people's attitudes towards circular fashion still need to change? Yeah, so there are there are many brands right now who are really, you know, going to great lengths to achieve um, a more circular model. And that has to be the aim of every brand. As an industry, you know, we, we can't continue to coexist as... Uh, as uh, businesses who really are not um, addressing sustainability as number one priority, where other brands really are doing fantastic stuff. It, it really has to be, um, it really, it, brands really need to, you know, who aren't addressing this as the number one priority really need to step up. Uh, a few designers are actually now embracing upcycling and uh, redesigning clothes instead of doing it from scratch. Do you think global brands will start adopting this at some point? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I do think brands are uh, big brands are already doing this to a degree. So the use of dead stock, redesigning um, products that exist. There is so much waste within our industry that there is a, a plethora of, of opportunity to... Um, to reinvigorate uh, what exists and create something new and appealing. And that is something that, um, you know, again, every brand needs to be thinking about that. What is in existence within your business that can be reutilized? I don't think there's any fashion business out there who can't do that to some degree. So uh, that, 
you know, that's what a circular model looks like. It's it, it really is about looking at all of your dead stock, looking at all of your um, uh, any opportunity to to recreate something and create something new um, is is a really powerful way to tell your sustainable story. And that, I guess, would be a good way to regain trust from the customers. Yeah, I mean, the trust piece is is really crucial because, as you mentioned earlier, uh, greenwashing has been such a big thing within our industry. And that is now, um, yeah, it's just not acceptable. So real authoritative, in, integral brand messaging around sustain, you know, your sustainable um, uh, ambitions and uh, achievements is what customers really, consumers really expect to be knowing this now. They they don't expect it to be non-transparent. And uh, that I think, yeah, like I said earlier, in the past year, it feels like very good stuff is going on in terms of making that message much clearer and being transparent. Uh, and that's that can only be a positive thing. And we we expect to see that now as a given in every, you know, for every brand's sort of strategy. And maybe changing the subject a little mm -hmm. bit, uh, in terms of social media, nowadays everyone is a brand and social media is a breeding ground for new trends with celebrities and influencers reaching millions of people. Do you think we're going to continue seeing micro trends going viral? Yes, I think that won't stop. Um, you know, there is no end to the power of social media. Um, I, I just think it's going to become much more nuanced. So as we saw with the Mew Mew Micro Mini story that we started with, um, what was really exciting about that was the way it twisted and turned into something that became uh, a message around inclusivity and diversity. And I think that's where social is going. Uh, no one just wants to know about something kind of facile and... I don't know, just celeb-led. It, it, I think that has become tired, but... It's more about values now. Yeah, I think everything has to have some kind of value. So whether, the, you know, the the Mew skirt is a perfect example. It could have just been a disaster story around this skirt that was um, meant only for super skinny girls of a certain age, and it suddenly became... A quite a positive story that how how you know we can anyone can wear this piece and that that, that yeah we are living in a more inclusive world so yes I think the main thing is that it's it has to have a message and it has to yeah be inclusive and yeah have some kind of values attached to it and considering the online fashion industry is the largest e-commerce market, will this transcend into the virtual world? I'm thinking NFTs and gaming. Yeah, so the virtual world, I think, is a really fascinating space. Uh, but I think it's a very difficult one for the fashion industry. Uh, right now, the, you know, in terms of the audience that we're talking to today, the aesthetics just really aren't there yet. And I think it's very interesting to think about how far we've come along the track of 
creating a more inclusive and diverse fashion landscape. And then in the virtual world, how is that being managed? What does that look like? As I say, sort of balanced up again against the aesthetics, which are really, I think, still quite lacking in terms of uh, what we need in the fashion industry. And so it's a very exciting space, and I th- but I think it's still at the moment more relevant for other industries. Um, but yes, one to be watched and one that involves huge budgets. So, you know, uh, big budgets are, are involved in exploring this space, but uh, definitely more work needs to be done in terms of how it looks and, uh, yeah, how that compares with uh, real, you know, the real fashion world. Yes. More and more people tend to move from one platform to another when shopping. How can retailers keep up with this? Well, of course, it's really hard at the moment uh, where online is so important, but we're still trying to resurrect um you know, bricks and mortar in real life retail. I guess the, you know, the key things really are are quite traditional things, which are to have an incredible brand mix, uh, to really have, you know, particularly for the audience we're talking to today, like make sure your brand mix is really strong. Then to tell that brand story um, and make that really consistent across different platforms is also crucial. And I guess then the third piece would be to really make the journey very easy for your consumer. So whether that's, again, in real life or it's online, is to make that journey enticing, pleasurable one. Um, But yeah, first and foremost, for the people we're talking to today, I would say have the most enticing brand mix that you can find. Thank you, Emily, for being with us and for sharing your amazing insights about trends and women's wear. Thank you for having me here today. And thank you to all our listeners to be here with us for our first ever Fashion Questions episode. Stay tuned.